Beatrice, clap for me. Let me hide myself in you. really clap for me. Let me hide myself in you. of men podcast equipping you for eternity it's another monday which means it's time for work it out i'm your host fiona the song that we just listened to is rock of ages by reality seven i hope that you enjoyed the music so in tonight's episode we're going to be concluding the introduction that we started last week on the messages to the seven churches Remember that this season, we are focusing on the messages to the seven churches. If you haven't watched, uh, listened to the first episode, please go back and check it out. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with more. In the days of John, God handpicked seven literal churches that would typify seven stages of church history. The past, the present, the future of the church is all mapped out in the letters to the seven churches. Rebukes, warning, reproofs, remedies, and Satan's strategies all laid bare. Tune in to Rugged Out with Fiona Mondays at 7 p.m. to see the history behind church history. Welcome back, welcome back. So, in tonight's episode... We're going to look at the introduction to the letters to the seven churches. We're going to consider the structure and why those seven churches. Then we're going to look at the general interpretation and application of the messages. We're going to read the last half of chapter 1. Remember that last week we read from verses 1 to 8, so we're going to read the remaining verses. And then lastly, we're going to deal with the symbolism found in the passage which will set us up for the next lessons so let's get right into it if you have your bibles uh, let's open to the book of revelation chapter 1 verses 4 to 11 this is where we see the letters to the seven churches being introduced it reads 
John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pegamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So, uh, from the passage that we just read, these are the, the, the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pegamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are seven literal churches that existed during the time when the Apostle Paul, sorry, the Apostle John was in Patmos writing the book of Revelation. These are not the only churches that existed during that time, but these are the churches that were picked by our Father in Heaven to give these messages to his church. The letters were meant to address certain conditions that existed in those churches, but they were also meant to address the church of God throughout the ages. This means although the letters applied literally to those churches, they were also prophetic to the future church. The important thing to note is the names of these churches. Here is what the spirit of prophecy has to say in Acts of the Apostles, page 585, paragraph 3. It reads, The names of the seven churches are symbolic of the church in different periods of the Christian era. The number seven indicates completeness and is symbolic of the fact that the messages extend to the end of time, while the symbols used reveal the condition of the church at different periods in the history of the world. So there you have it, why seven churches and why the symbols that were employed. Now, why is it important that we should study these letters to the seven churches? A commentary from the Vision Study Bible reads, in determining the import of the successive scenes that passed before John in vision, it is well to remember that the revelation was given to guide comfort and strengthen the church not only in his day but throughout the christian era to the very close of time 
Herein the history of the church was foretold for the benefit of and vital counsel was addressed to believers of apostolic times, to Christians of future ages, and to those living in the last days of earth's history, in order that all might have an intelligent understanding of the perils and conflicts before them. So from the commentary we just read, we see that there's vital counsel that was meant for Christians of future ages as well, especially to us living in the last day so that we can have an intelligent understanding of the perils that are to befall us. So it's very important, dear friends, that we study these messages and understand them and take the counsels to heart and apply them to our spiritual lives. As we have already emphasized, the messages reveal to us the history and future of the church throughout the ages. But the messages can also apply to our individual state as Christians or even that of our local churches. And therefore, the counsels that are given will help us to fix the problems that we might be going through. In the following episodes, as we read the various messages, I want us to introspect, to look at our spiritual lives and to see where, um, to see the state in relation to the message to each church. You know, there is the lukewarm church, there is the loving church, there is the persecuted church. And I believe that as individuals, we also go through those different phases in our spirituality. There's a time when we are lukewarm. There's a time when we have lost our first love. There's a time when we are persecuted. So really think as you listen to these messages, analyze your spiritual life and see um, which church you mostly relate to so that you can take those counsels and apply them and move from that situation to a situation where God would have you be. Uh, the messages to the seven churches have a certain structure. For all the seven churches, the messages follow the structure and would say that it's divided into seven aspects. The first aspect is the address to the angel or the minister. Each message starts with saying, and to the angel of the church at Ephesus, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira. The second aspect is the description of Jesus Christ. Um, for example, to one of the churches it will say, This then says the true and faithful witness. Um, the third aspect is the commendation that Jesus gives to the church. You will notice these as we uh, proceed with the series. The fourth aspect is a rebuke to the church of the wrong that is being done in that particular church. The fifth aspect is the exhortation, how to fix the problem. The sixth aspect of each message is the famous statement, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For all the seven churches, the statement is found in uh, the messages. And then the last aspect is a promise to those who overcome. So this is the structure of the letters or messages to the seven churches. As we uh, start looking at the messages from next week, make sure that you remember the structure and observe as we do the study. 
Yes, we'll go for a quick break. And then when we come back from the break, we are going to read the last part of Revelation chapter 1. A butterfly is not originally born a butterfly. It is born a caterpillar when it wishes to transform into a butterfly. It does not force itself, but rather, through a natural process, a miracle of God, it becomes a butterfly through a process known as metamorphosis. This transition is so deep that even the name of the creature changes. What it eats is different. So like we, when we become Christians, our name changes. What we eat is different. What we drink is different. We hang around in different places. We do not force ourselves into becoming Christians, but rather the Spirit transforms us and we see fruits in our lives that reflect Jesus Christ. Love, peace, joy. Paul said, by beholding, we become changed. The Greek word metamorpho, from which metamorphosis comes. By beholding Christ, we become changed like caterpillars into butterflies. Tune into the Whole Duty of Men podcast to listen to already available presentations on the fruits of the Spirit. Welcome back. It's time for us to do our reading. Remember what I said in the first episode that when these messages were sent to the seven churches, they had to be read in the hearing of the church members. So let us imagine that these messages are written for us and are being read to us and it's very silent and it's a solemn experience as these messages are being read before the church amen <laughs> yes so we're going to be reading revelation chapter 1 from verse 12 because we have already read verse 4 to 11 verse 12 and i tend to see the voice that spake with me and being turned i saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and get about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sowest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sowest are the seven churches. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So I'm sure you have noticed that the, there's a lot of symbolism employed in the verses that we just read. So we're going to unpack that symbolism with Mr. Babuluki, my husband. So, uh, but before we, we, we bring him in, I uh, just want to let you know that he has his own podcast that's titled 
Thinking Out Loud podcast, and he's currently doing a series on critical thinking. If you are interested in learning more about critical thinking, be sure to check out the podcast every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many other podcast platforms. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the whole YouTube Man podcast. Thank you. Um, so let's get right into it. Please unpack this symbolism for us. All right. Um, I'll just look from some symbols from verse 4 all the way to verse 18. Um, just verse 4 to verse 8 is John introducing the, the revelation to the seven churches. And then uh, from verse 9, you see him introducing himself to the church or to the churches. Uh, verse 9, you know, but that's what he does. And then uh, you see him from verse 11 going forward now introducing Christ to the seven churches. Mm. So that's, that's the flow of, um, of the passage. Now in verse 4, um, John talks about or he greets the churches. And he says something very interesting. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was and which is to come. So there is that individual who is recognized by inhabiting present, past and future. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, that's another one that we see. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. So verse 4 and verse 5, you see the whole Godhead um, greeting the church or sending their greetings to the church through John. Um, the one who is, which was, and which is to come is a title that is applied to God the Father. And then you have the seven spirits. Uh, we'll talk about them in Egypt, in, in but basically this is the Holy Spirit. Um, you see how the Holy Spirit uh, works even in the churches. And then Jesus Christ is also introduced in verse 5 um, as the faithful witness. We'll actually look at those things um, as time goes on. But what I wanted to emphasize was that uh, you have the three members of the Godhead sending their greetings, grace and peace mm -hmm. to the church. So the church needs grace and the church needs peace. Grace is very interesting because um, Paul says that as sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So the churches need that because as time goes on, sin will abound more and more. And also Paul tells us that grace gives us power to live godly in this present world. Mm. Um, waiting and looking for the second coming of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the church needs that. And why peace? Um, Christ said that in world, the world will have, the, his church will have tribulation. But in them, in him, rather in him, the church will have peace. So, just these greetings indicate two things, or one thing in general, that sin is going to get worse and worse, and persecution is going to get worse and worse, but I'm sufficient for you. The, the Father is sufficient, the Holy Spirit is sufficient, Jesus Christ, all of them are begging up the church and providing grace and peace for the church. That is what we see. And here you have um, the seven spirits. Seven spirits are very interesting. Um, when you look at uh, verse 4, um, I mean, the question is, so you have seven spirits rather than one Holy Spirit? Mm. That, that could mm. be a question. Yes. But uh, when you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it also talks about 
seven lamps of fire. And he says that these are the seven spirits of God before the throne. So that's very interesting. And now why seven? Remember, we have seven churches, right? So, and when you look at chapter 1, verse 20, it talks about the seven candlesticks being the seven churches. So what, what, what you need for the candlestick to give it its light, you need fire. Mm. The Holy Spirit has been described as lamps of fire in chapter 4, verse 5. And also in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 2, we are, we are told that um, the candlesticks need oil for them to burn. You need some fuel, something to fuel them up. On their own, they cannot burn. So the Holy Spirit is present in every stage of the church. All the seven stages of the church, as we have been told last week, in each stage, in each period, the Holy Spirit is present. That is why it is painted as seven spirits of God. To show that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is there with the church from its inception until the end of time. It's very interesting and also comforting to a believer to know that even in the worst of times, the Holy Spirit is there. So I hope you have noted that, dear friends. We may continue. Yes, and when you look at, uh, at the end of every letter to the church, let the church hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So you can see that the Holy Spirit is playing a part. I mean, in verse 1 to verse 3, it's more like God the Father, Jesus Christ, the angel, and you don't really see a lot of the Holy Spirit being there. But, but uh, when you look at the letters themselves, you see the Holy Spirit appearing. So we have the whole Godhead doing that work, all right. And then you move to verse 5. We already have seen Jesus Christ being introduced, but now there are three uh, symbols or titles that are being given to him. The first one is faithful witness. And you also see this in chapter 3, verse 14, when he addresses the church of Laodicea. And in Proverbs 14, verse 5, it says that the faithful, a faithful witness tells the truth. He does not tell lies. So Christ is going to tell the truth to the churches about their condition as a mm. faithful witness. And then also the second title is that he's the first begotten of the dead. Now, uh, if we had time, we'll talk about that. But I want to link this within the book of Revelation. The, 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 the title of Christ as the first begotten of the dead um, feeds him in his work uh, during the time of the seven seals. You see this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Um, which basically says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So Christ um, is basically addressing the church as uh, the church faces uh, persecution. And this is during the time of the seven seals. Um, that, that is what you see. So Christ is working as the first begotten of the dead during the time of the seven seals. And then the last uh, title that we see in verse 5 is that he is the prince of the kings of the earth. Now Christ works as the prince of the kings of the earth or lord of lords or king of kings during the time of the seven trumpets. When you look at chapter 11 verse 14 to verse 15, uh, the last trumpet, all the kingdoms of the world uh, have become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is basically the essence of that. So you see that Christ is everything to the church in every condition or situation that the church finds itself. When the church is being persecuted, Christ can relate with the church. 
when the church is being oppressed by political leadership, Christ can identify with the church and he still protects, he still acts as a protector and a leader of the church, even in that capacity. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that beats Christ, basically. He's everything that the church needs. Amen. Amen. And then in verse... Five, it also says that, you know, he loved us and washed us from our sins and in his own blood. So, well, what, I want, what you see there is what he has done for us. It's not really about his title, but what he has done for us. We'll just pass by, by, by that one and then move on to another um, symbol, which you see in verse 8. It's called the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, you see this repeating chapter 22, verse 12 and 13. We see it in, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. And uh, the idea is that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is the one who is almighty. So Christ is the almighty. That is the idea behind this symbol. And then you have the seven golden candlesticks in verse 12 and verse 13. That's another um, you know, symbol now, moving away from uh, the introduction of the revelation to the churches, but now Christ being introduced to the churches himself. So we write in chapter 1, verse 20, that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. And Christ is pictured as walking through the seven uh, golden candlesticks. So Christ fully knows the condition of the churches. He's familiar with the churches that he's pictured as walking among them. He knows their condition and therefore is able to offer true counsel and give true remedy to their ailments. Mm -hmm. And then you have verse 14, verse 15, where Christ is now pictured as having a golden girdle about the peps or the breasts. And the word used is very interesting. It refers to female breasts. Um, you know, when, when, when Christ was uh, crucified, you know, they said, no, blessed is the womb that, um, that carried you. He said, no, and then the peps that fed you. He said, no, blessed is the, he that hears my word and keeps it. So the word peps here basically refers to female breasts. Now, it's very significant of Christ to be pictured this way. He has this motherly care over his church. Mm. I mean, he, 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 he cares for his church more than a mother cares for uh, her own child. So he provides and nourishes the church through the word. That is how Christ nourishes the, way, uh, the church. Uh, the milk, desire the sincere milk of the word, that's why Peter says. So Christ gives us his word to feed us, to nourish us as his church. And then his feet are pictured like you know brass that has been burned in a furnace. Now brass is an alloy, basically uh, the combination of two metals. So it 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 it, it, it talks about it symbolizes uh, sinful humanity. Brass symbolizes sinful humanity, um, and you see that Christ has a combination of the divine and the human in him. So and 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 the the feet being burned in a furnace. Burning symbolizes suffering. So Christ has suffered in his humanity. And he knows what the church is going through in his suffering. He's familiar with suffering. So he can actually offer the right remedy um, to their suffering. And the right uh, amount of power for them to endure the suffering or the, uh, the, the, the fairness. You know, just like he did with uh, the three Hebrew boys. And then in verse 16 and verse 17, you have the seven stars in his right hand. Uh, chapter 1, verse 20, we are told that the stars are the angels or the leaders, uh, messengers of the churches. So the leadership of the church, Christ has them in his right hand. Now, that's a very intimate language. It's like he's upholding them, supporting them. And it's very significant that he says the right hand. In 
Psalm 48 verse 10, you know, the right hand is full of righteousness. So Christ is sustaining the leadership of the church through righteousness. So we come to Christ for righteousness and that is how he sustains us. And that is how he encourages us and empowers us as leaders to lead the churches properly. And then uh, we are told that um, from his mouth, um, he has a two, uh, a, a sharp two-edged sword, verse 16. So a sharp two-edged sword, that's the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that divides, you know, uh, the, the bone and the marrow. And so Christ uses his word to rebuke the church. He speaks against the defects of the church. That is how he divides or cuts, you know, um, more like a, uh, performing a surgery to say, no, this, cut this out. This should not be part of you. So he uses his word to rebuke us and we are able to correct our ways through his grace. Mm -hmm. So that is what we see. And now finally in verse 18, he says that he's the one who lives and was dead and is alive forevermore. Again, you have present, you have past, you have future. So the same attributes of the Father, Christ has them. He inhabits eternity. And then he says, I have the keys of hell and death. Very interesting. Now, the, the, this is actually a turning point because you have an amen at the end. And then after that, he says, I have the keys of hell and death. Now, having a key shows that one has access and um, basically has gained a right to access whatever key um, opens, maybe whichever door. So these keys that he has are the keys to um, you know, death and hell. So he has, or the keys of hell and death rather, um, he has the right, he has earned the right through his life, death and resurrection, uh, he has earned the right to resurrect whomever he will. Just like we learned that he is the first begotten from the dead. So Christ is saying to the churches that, yes, some of you are going to die, but don't worry about that. Just be faithful. Um, I have the keys of hell and of death. I will resurrect you if you die for my sake. So basically those are some of the symbols or critical symbols that we see in chapter one um, of Christ to the churches. All right. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for that beautiful explanation. We have come to the end of the episode. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you have learned a lot. And if you have any questions, please do contact us uh, on Messenger. If you're on our WhatsApp group, uh, please share whatever message you have for us there or also on Instagram. Be blessed. Enjoy your evening.